This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. We will preview that matchup with Michael Russo coming up in just a couple of minutes. Nation Network Radio, yeah, a special edition on Thursday. Glad you're with us. Powered by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill. Don't settle for the nosebleeds. Always get a front row seat at Shark Club, your destination for pregame, postgame, every game. Located just minutes from the rink at the corner of Georgia and Beattie. Come eat, drink, talk a little trash. Learn more at sharkclub.com with locations right across North America and even the U.K., it is a team that is, well, limping into the next game, J.D., but lots of news surrounding the Vancouver Canucks these days, and we're going to touch on some of those topics as we go along here for the next two hours. That's right. That's right. The Canucks coming to terms today with Ashton Sautner, defenseman from the Utica Comets, for a two-year deal valued at, I believe, 825000 per season. It's a two-way deal, meaning he'll make about 100000 at the AHL level. That does not, however, preclude him from waivers. In fact, I believe he'll be waiver eligible as recent, or sorry, as soon as next season. Some other business to tidy up here. We've got Elias Pettersson breaking a scoring record among under-20 scorers in the SHL, passing Kent Nielsen, and perhaps more notably, Peter Forsberg. And he's got games in hand, so let's see how far he can take this. That's certainly encouraging news for a Canucks team that, like you said, Abbott, has got enough people in the injured reserve that could field a second roster. And for a team that was lacking depth to the extent that Vancouver was, uh, that's an ugly place to be. And you know what? Another prospect who's really kind of hitting his groove is Kelowna Rockets winger. Cole Lind, that's right. He set another career high in points. Just going to look here. I think last year he had 87. This year he's looking at 89. And again, we're talking about a guy who has time to spare. And perhaps most impressive of all for Cole Lind is that he's done this in a season that's just been marked with such adversity. You're talking about a guy who's had to suffer through a mono diagnosis. And that's just something that happens to kid that, kids that age. You look at Timothy Liljegren, his draft stock plummets because of it. Comes back this year really strong. And you love to see somebody like Cole Lind and battle through it the season of and not be hindered. He's almost at two points a game. I mean, that's something really special and you love to see from the Canucks kids. That and much more to go over in the next two hours. You can reach us at one 1040 Email live at tsn1040.ca. Text us at 1040.40 and we'll preview the uh, the poll question as well at tsn1040.ca. But uh, holding uh, with us is Michael Russo from the Athletic Minnesota previewing the Wild and the Canucks tomorrow night. Uh, good evening. Michael, how are you? Mike, do we have you there? False start. We are expected <laughs> to be joined by Mike Russo of the Athletic Minnesota as uh, we are looking for a preview to the Wild and the Vancouver Canucks. But also, man, we have to touch on the uh, absence of Brock Besser because that shakes not only the Vancouver market, obviously he's from Minnesota, but really the hockey world and what was a, a race for the, the Calder uh, head-to-head in a game that he would leave as well uh, with Matt Barzell. just happens to be that he's knocked out in that game, which was the, the head-to-head before perhaps both of them finding their names closer to a Calder ballot, and I'm sure Brock's name will still be on it, but uh, just difficult to see Brock Besser go down. And now we have uh, Mike Russo from the Athletic Minnesota. Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, sorry about that. 
No, no problem. Worries. No problem. It's it's our pleasure to have you on, and <laughs> it's uh, it's a Canucks and a Wild team that are certainly headed in different directions. We'll get to that in a moment, but perhaps you heard us chatting just before we were able to connect with you. Uh, the story in Vancouver coming out of uh, the last two games is the unfortunate injury to Brock Besser and uh, one of our favorite sons, but a native son to Minnesota, uh, where you're based out of. Uh, what was the reaction in Minnesota when when Besser went down? I mean, very disappointed, uh, as you mentioned. I mean, he's very popular in Minnesota, and he's a he's a hot topic in Minnesota just because the Wild uh, passed them up and let uh, Vancouver take him. And uh, and it's somebody that obviously for a franchise that that lacks that pure goal scorer. I think it's going to be one of those things where I think fans in Minnesota compare Brock Besser and Yule Erickson Eck for for years and years to come. Uh, you know, I talked to. Uh, I texted with with Besser today, and I know he's still in a lot of discomfort, and and um, it's just a shame. But after watching the incident live, uh, you know, I just you know thank goodness that it that it wasn't more uh, serious than it was because it certainly looked scary. And uh, for him to just have the L four fracture and and something that should be back, uh, you know, he should be back on his feet and working out and everything in the next four to six weeks. I think, uh, you know, I think we're all fortunate that, uh, and he's fortunate that uh, that it's a, it wasn't as serious that it really appeared to be at the time of the injury. Nation Network Radio talking with Michael Russo of the Athletic Minnesota. Uh, Michael, you wrote an article for the Athletic Minnesota called Canucks rookie Brock Besser faced excruciating hardship on his journey to the NHL. Can you perhaps take our listeners through some of the the contents of that article and some of the hardships that he's had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, you know, Brock had a, uh, you know, he's just, first of all, he's just a tremendous, tremendous guy, and and his family is just absolutely awesome. I've grown tight with them over the last several years, and, you know, this really started uh, in in high school when, when Brock was up and playing a tournament uh, up in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and all of a sudden his mom was coming up there with his stepbrother, and they were going to surprise him. And she gets to the uh, tournament and gets word that her husband, uh, Duke, was in critical, critical condition. He was T-boned within a mile of their house, um, had several uh, injuries that put him in the hospital for a long, long time. And then at that uh, right soon after that, uh, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. That's the same year that he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Duke lost his, and, and Brock lost his grandfather and his, his grandmother. And then also in high school, um, Brock went, uh, had an unbelievable, uh, just a tragic incident that is very, very well known in Minnesota. Um, that happened in his hometown of Burnsville where he lost one of, uh, two of his best friends. Uh, one of his, uh, one, one that he puts on his stick every single day and then another one that, uh, that is still has, uh, lifelong injuries, uh, due to that car accident. So, you know, that was what the story is about and how he's kind of, uh, you know, this is, this is a hard working family from a blue collar, uh, suburb of Minneapolis. And it's basically a story about, uh, how Brock was, was brought up and, and um, you know, and just kind of overcame adversity after adversity. When this incident happened with his two of his best friends and four people were in the car, he was overseas, uh, captaining, captaining the U.S. There's some really, really uh, touching parts of the article where, where Brock, while he was overseas in Slovakia, was, was testing with the mom of, of his best friend who passed away in, in the car accident. And so um, it's one of the stories that's still on The Athletic, and I, I highly recommend uh, to not fans if you didn't get a chance to read it, to, 
to, uh, to give it a read. I can promise you it's a lot more eloquent than, than the way I explained it. No, well, it's certainly, uh, I would say you described it perfectly. And in fact, uh, the comments as it relates to Brock's current injury were well said as well, as we would expect. Uh, Mike Russo joins us from the Athletic Minnesota, by the way. John Abbott, J.D. Burke, Nation Network Radio. And it's just another example of the character of the young man that has really stolen the yeah. hearts of everybody in Vancouver. And we all know that he'll be only stronger when he comes back. And it's, it's, it is such a shame to see it happen. But to, to use your point of view, we're it's so fortunate that it wasn't worse. Uh, what's it like to have a budding superstar from that, from Minnesota, from that state? I mean, it's so well known for putting so many great hockey players on the map, but it just seems like in today's day and age, uh, Brock maybe is a little bit different than some of the, the big names that have come before him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's just a pure goal scorer. And as he, as he said, I mean, what I like about Brock is he's just such a humble, nice kid. Uh, yeah, even, you know, I was down at the All-Star game, and even after he won MVP, right after the press conference, he pulled me aside, and he's like, how did I win this? I mean, honestly, you know, and I think that a lot of it is, especially because it was fan voting, it just shows how popular of a, of a guy that he has become. But you're right, in Minnesota, um, you know, we bet we, there, there are some great, great, Minnesota hockey players right now in the league. Uh, guys like Blake Wheeler is the one that really comes to mind right now, and, and he's just been absolutely awesome this season and, and, and leading the Jets. And, and But Brock looks like he's going to be one of those guys that we're going to see for many, many years. And again, you know, in, in Minnesota in particular, that's why a lot of Wild fans are so upset that the Wild didn't draft, it, draft him. I mean, here's a kid that grew up right in their backyard. The Wild basically say that they went and drafted the center, and that was what they needed at the time. But three picks later, there was Brock sitting there. And it's just one of those things. Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Eric Connect because I think he's going to be a really good player. But he's, but the reality is that for years and years, these two are going to be compared. And, and I feel for Eric Connect because he's under a lot of pressure here, and he only has three, three goals for the Wild. He has played well for the most part of the second half. But Wild fans see the goals and see the fact that this kid – uh, Investor was, was, you know, well up for the for the call to trophy and scoring every single night. It felt like uh, back afar for the Canucks. Nation Network Radio speaking with Michael Russo from the Athletic Minnesota, and you brought up Blake Wheeler when you were talking about stars that have come out of Minnesota, and I feel like that's something of a nice segue here, looking at the the future and what it holds for the Minnesota Wild. Barring something unforeseen, that looks like it might be <laughs> one of the playoff matches coming up. How how confident right now is Minnesota about their chances if they go into that matchup, which appears to be predestined when you look at the standings? Uh, probably more confident than I would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the worst possible matchup for them. I actually think the Wild would match up very well with uh, the National Predators, even though I would pick the Predators to win that series. And, and I definitely think the Wild actually could beat the Golden Knights. They've done it twice this season. They actually the Wild next week go to Vegas for the first time. Um, but the Wild have matched up really well against them, and, and yeah, I, I really think the Vegas Golden Knights blue line is very uh, disposable. Um, but, but Winnipeg, the Wild just don't play well in that building. It's been a really ugly uh, couple games against them this season. It feels like every single game, guys like Bufflin and Blake Wheeler and Shifley and Nikolai Ellers just light them up. And uh, the Wild actually do a pretty good job against Patrick Lining. Um, but, but it's just, to me, I don't see the Wild being able to compete with them depth-wise. Uh, I look at that team as being three lines deep, maybe even four. 
Um, I do think that they do have some weaknesses on their back end, but they've still got guys like Tana that's healthy and Truba that's healthy and, and Big Boss that could shut you down. And, again, that team is so good that if they're going to spend a lot of the night in the offensive zone, it doesn't matter if the Wild can beat their blue line if the Wild are never in the offensive zone. So I just don't like the matchup at all. Um, I think it'll be a, an exciting series just because these two are bitter, bitter rivals. Um, and the fan bases, I mean, it is a true border battle. Uh, those, those Winnipeg fans flock down to Minnesota anytime the two teams play. Um, but I don't like the matchup if you're Minnesota. Yeah, geographically, whoever comes out of that first round, if it occurs, is probably better off for maybe a bit of a deeper run because it is so close. <laughs> I would love to see that matchup. But as, as we dial it back just a couple of notches, uh, Mike and Mike Russo joins us. Uh, nine road games for the Wild to finish their season starts tomorrow. So uh, that's what they have left on the road. Of course, they have home games to finish it off too. But nine left on the road, beginning with uh, the Vancouver Canucks and then Edmonton before the, the Western Canadian trip is through. Uh, so far, the road record it pales in comparison to the home record. So what are the Wild trying to execute starting tomorrow night in Vancouver? Well, better defensively. I mean, the, the Wild, as you mentioned, they're the best home team in the NHL, at least points-wise. Uh, but they've been terrible on the road. And they were actually doing much better. Uh, it swept the New York uh, trip, uh, including New Jersey, a couple weeks ago. But then last week they had a big-time step back when they went to Arizona, blew a, a third-period lead, and, and uh, then got absolutely pummeled for the second time this season in, in Colorado. Um, but they're at home. They're one of the best teams in the league defensively, offensively, in every single facet, special teams, everything. On the road, their save percentage is 30th. Defensively, they're 30th. Um, they don't score. Their penalty kill is absolutely abysmal. Um, and, and, you know, I look at tomorrow's game as being pivotal because they play again. They got every weekend this month they have back-to-back games. And the Wild have been absolutely hideous in the second of back-to-back games. So I look at that Edmonton game that the Wild play is Saturday is a very tough game. So I look at tomorrow as one of those games where when you're playing a team without Brock Bester and Sven Berchi and Louis Erickson, who absolutely demolishes the Wild every time the two teams play, you got to beat them. And it's really that simple. And we don't have to go far back. I mean, just look at last March when the Wild were, were trying to win the conference. And then Vancouver came down to Minnesota, a depleted lineup, and absolutely killed them. Uh, the score looked closer. I think it was 4-2, but they, but the Wild were awful. That was the game that Besser scored his first NHL goal, in fact. So they, they, tomorrow is a, is a game that you if you want to start, um, as you mentioned, I mean, they're not making the playoffs unless they win some road games here. If you want to start on a good path, you got to beat them tomorrow. Well, one thing that the the Wild are going to have going for them is the success of Eric Stahl. 36 goals already on the season. It's his first 30-goal year since 2010-2011. And he might even get as high as 40. Certainly has the time to do it. And that would be the first time since 2008-2009. What has made Eric Stahl such a great fit in Minnesota where he's playing on perhaps one of the best value contracts in the NHL at about three million a season? Yeah. Three and a half million dollars. I mean, it's just crazy uh, how, how little he makes compared to some of his teammates that are that it really pale in comparison to how good he is playing uh, this season and and really last season. But it really just comes down to I think motivation to really prove a lot of people wrong. And he's admitted it. Was, I, I think it did bother him a couple of years ago, and he, and he admits that his game really had fallen off there at Carolina at the end. I think he was emotionally um, emotionally. 
uh, downtrodden, just sort of being in a constant rebuilding stage, a low-salary team, playing with a bunch of young guys from Carolina. And then he gets uh, traded to New York, and I think his first or second game there, Rick Nash got hurt, and all of a sudden they take him from his natural center position to the left wing. So over that summer, he was talking to teams like Nashville, Boston, St. Louis, and Bruce Brujo promised him, look, we are going to make you the first-line center. You're going to play with X, Y, and Z on this team. And, and right now, they've both uh, lived up to their promises. Uh, Eric promised to be a much better player than we had seen the last couple of years, and Bruce promised him to put him in a position to succeed, and he's done it. He does not look like at all that he has slowed down, that he can't get up and down the ice anymore. His hands have been unbelievable. His, his wrist shot is still as good as ever. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, this has been an unreal season for him. He's absolutely on fire. 17 goals for his last 19 games. He, he's a guy that uh, that I just watch every single night and kind of marvel that he still gets it done. Because, and he's, he's a true pro off the ice, which has been awesome to see as well. So, um, it's been great. I mean, you know, the, to think in the history of this organization, only Marion Gabbert has more goals. It says everything about the season that Eric Stahl has had. Wow, that's a great stat to throw out there. Uh, might be stealing that one come tomorrow. And Mike Russo joins us from the Athletic Minnesota. Uh, as we talk about this wild team uh, preparing to face the Canucks tomorrow evening, and, you know, it's, it seems like many expect them to be in the playoffs, and I would be included in that. Who, who's facing more pressure with the, how this year finishes, whether it's playoffs and first round and beyond, or, you know, heaven forbid for the Wild and their, and their uh, vision that there wouldn't be playoffs? The head coach and Bruce Boudreaux or, or the GM and Chuck Fletcher? Who's facing more pressure? Well, definitely Chuck. Chuck's the one in the last year of his deal. Bruce has got two years left. And and uh, just being, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, uh, at this late stage, Elaine's FGM puts him in, in deep, t- deep trouble if they don't go on a, on, a, on a run here. I mean, just the fact that he is without a contract just tells you, um, even if you don't have any information, that Craig Leopold is waiting to see how this organization could do um, in the postseason. They, they've made the playoffs five years in a row, but they've had two very disappointed disappointing uh, first-round exits the last couple of years, especially last year. I mean, last year, remember, the Wild led the conference for most of the year. They were they finished second, but they could have very easily won it. They were only three or four points behind Chicago. And then they go out after swinging to the fences and acquiring a guy that I never thought was right for them, by the way, and Marty Hansel. They wound up winning one playoff game. And so that puts now Chuck into big-time pressure, especially when he didn't make any moves coming into this trade deadline other than trading Mike Riley for a fifth and and, and dumping Chris Stewart to create the cap space that unfortunately uh, brought Luke Cunning to the team and he tore his ACL two games in to his, his return for the first time since November. So Chuck's in a lot of out of trouble. It's been nine years here in Minnesota and, and so they want to see a step this year and, and so it is imperative uh, that they get it done and, and uh, it, you know again that's why I keep on saying I think it's the easier road for Minnesota would be to kind of fall back into that top wild card spot and play Vegas in the first round. But uh, it certainly looks, especially when you look like I think the Dallas Stars have five home games the rest of the season. Uh, you know, definitely uh, the schedule. I would say uh, leads all of us to think the Wild are going to wind up playing the Jets in the first round. Nation Network Radio, J.D. Burke and John Abbott talking with Michael Russo. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but you look at the Minnesota Wild, and, and perhaps this isn't their year. Last year looked like one where they had a chance. They bought in with Martin Hansel, had some depth in Ryan White. 
This year, they were a bit more calm at the deadline. Chuck, Fel- Chuck Fletcher, like you said, is a bit of a lame duck GM in his situation. Where do they go from here if things don't work out? Because I look at this team and I see Zach Parisi making seven and a half for the foreseeable future. Ryan Suter right there behind him. And it's there seems to be this incongruity between the older core in their mid-30s taking up a lot of the salary cap and then the age divide between that and the next wave. Where do they go? Are they going to be looking to turn things around with a rebuild or just soldiering on forward? Well, it's hard to tell because we got to see who's running the team. I put the new GM. I mean, really, all bets are off on what they do. The problem with the team, is, as you mentioned and alluded to, is that you know a lot of these guys, like Ryan Suter's not waving his no trade to move. Uh, Zach Parise, I don't think is, and even if he could, is he going to be tradable? Um, they just committed another two-year deal to, to Miko Koivu, and, and so now, you know, if you're going to change this team, you're going to have to eat into your core, which are your better players, uh, the Jason Zuckers and Matt Dumbas and the Kyle Granlins, the, you know, Niederreiters, uh, and this team is not exactly um, overcome with great, great prospects in the organization either. So, you know, yeah, I mean, they, there's a lot of pressure on this team. I'll be interested to see where it goes. They have some huge decisions to make this summer um, with, with Eric Saul entering the final year of his deal next year. How much do you commit to him if you're going to extend him? they got to re-sign Jason Zucker, who's having a career. they got to re-sign Matt Dumbo, who's having a solid season. Um, so there is a lot of uh, the future of the Wild is definitely uncertain, and so that's why you know it's really unclear what they could possibly do or what the, the path will be until we figure out if Chuck Fletcher is retained or not. Michael, really appreciate your time tonight ahead of the game tomorrow. Thanks for being with us on Nation Network Radio. Yep, anytime, guys. Michael Russo from the Athletic Minnesota. Always a treat to catch up with him and uh, gain some insight on the Canucks opponent uh, tomorrow night. One thing that was made uh, very clear is that the Wild are looking for some traction and they do enter the first of a back-to-back scenario. Vancouver tomorrow night, then Edmonton the night following that. And the schedule is not kind to the Minnesota Wild, not only in opponents, but also, uh, as Michael alluded to, with more back-to-backs to follow. They play the Colorado Avalanche on the road, Vegas Golden Knights amongst them. They still have L.A., Nashville, Boston, uh, the Dal- a pair versus the Dallas Stars, and how big could that be before finishing uh, through California on the road to finish their season? So the work just gets going. And as far as the Vancouver Canucks are concerned, expecting to bring a better effort, as you heard the captain way back at the top of the hour when we started, boy, they had better be ready for the Minnesota Wild if uh, the Wild are planning to execute and put their their talk into action. I mean, I don't know how much worse they could play, so I I have to take Henrik Sedin at his word on that front. You know what? You talk about the Minnesota Wild. they got a pair of games against the Dallas Stars coming up. I'm looking at these two teams right now. The Dallas Stars are three points back. That could be the deciding factor in where the Wild finish. And you talk about them having to face the Winnipeg Jets. That's what it looks like at the moment. But you wonder what happens that if would they be go awesome. into that. I <laughs> would love that first round oh, series. Just for the, the regional rivalry. I mean, you, you just know it's going to be packed with Jets fans, even when it's in Minnesota. And that's saying something, because they're a hockey state in their own right. I mean, huge following there, especially with the Brock Besser thing going on. It's like there's a separate beat, both for the Wild and then one for Besser. So uh, certainly a lot of hardcore fans are going to be involved in that series if it comes to be. I know there's plenty of Canucks fans that look at the teams remaining on Vancouver's schedule, especially, namely, the Arizona Coyotes, who prop up yet again in short order and think, all right, Arizona has chipped away a little bit. 
moving up the standings. The Buffalo Sabres somehow are winning hockey games. This is the Canucks window to perhaps slide a little bit lower and, and try and guarantee themselves a pick within the top four if they continue to slide down the standings. But something tells me this hockey club's a likely going to try and play spoilers as much as possible and boy here's one of those teams that they could take a piece out of and have as Michael Russo suggested I remember that game uh, for many reasons namely because Brock Besser made his entrance into the National Hockey League in his own backyard less than 48 hours after his college career had finished and scores his first NHL goal which oh yeah happens to be the game winner in Minnesota so it's hard to forget that but Bruce Boudreaux was peeling paint off the walls. He was not happy at that stage of the game a year ago, right around this time, with his hockey club and their direction moving into the playoffs. Now, a little bit different because they're not as high up in the standings as they had been. But that morning skate, ahead of knowing that Brock Besser was a certainty to play, Boudreaux stole the show indicating that something didn't show up. It was going to be time to sit veterans and they yep. lost that night to the Vancouver Canucks, and it became a bit of a rocky road heading to the postseason, which is, again, we reflected on, didn't go their way. And you get a sense that this team recognizes what's in front of them. The pressure on the head coach times that by 10 on the general manager. The players in that hockey market are expected to win, and you can bet if it's against the Winnipeg Jets, the Wild will not be pleased if it's not at least a series. If they don't make it a series against the Jets, that's going to be tough. So we're ahead of ourselves a little bit, but boiling it down to Vancouver and Minnesota, I think it's up to the Canucks to bring their best because you'd think the Wild aren't going to let up tomorrow night. No, no, especially because one of the things that stuck out to me when I was looking at their cap-friendly page and something that I alluded to when we were talking to Russo was that this team, I mean, you talk about Chuck Fletcher being you know, right up against it. What about the age of this core? I mean, how many more chances are they going to have to realistically contend? you got Parisi. He's 33. Miko Koivu, 34. Eric Stahl, 33. Ryan Suter, 33. That is not the age where players are in their peak production, where they're moving the needle at their best rate. And you can already sort of see that because one of the things that sticks out is that the Minnesota Wild have the third worst ratio of control on shot attempts in the NHL this season. And... Bruce Boudreaux coach teams have always had a worse share of shot attempts than they've had of goals. So that's nothing really new. But for it to be that bad to me is an omen of things to come. And, you know, I, I guess it's strike while the iron's hotter. You know, it's it might not be uh, good times in Minnesota for much longer. Updates from practice. And we'll get into what took place today at UBC for the Vancouver Canucks, as well as uh, taking a quick peek back on what was against the Coyotes as Vancouver then prepares for the Wild. But... Some line juggling from Travis Green. It certainly looks like Goldobin uh, may be quick to be the odd one out. Uh, Leipzig, Horvat, and Gagne were the top line skating for Travis Green at UBC today. We'll hear from the head coach as well as go over the rest of the lines, touch on some of those hot topics, including number 77 Owen, uh, Brendan Leipzig as well, who continues to turn heads in the absence of Brock Besser. That, as Nation Network Radio continues, presented by Shark Club Sports Bar and Grill in your home for Vancouver Sports. TSN 1040. J.D. and I have been in there already and certainly have enjoyed it even prior to the partnership. And if you see us in there, pull up beside us and 
We'll have plenty of hockey talk for you, including looking back at the Vancouver Canucks throughout the season. The most recent game was a 2-1 loss to the Arizona Coyotes in which, well, many are calling the low point of the season. It was a 17-shot effort from the Vancouver Canucks. Actually looked like they were going to take a lead on a rare three against five shorthanded goal from Brandon Sutter. What you know it off the bar and out. Goal comes off the board and it's just the way those things happen. The Coyotes march back up the ice in the other direction to score a power play goal after it looked like Jacob Markstrom had made a fantastic, well, he did make a fantastic glove save. He just didn't catch the puck, and Clayton Keller able to bang in the rebound, and the Canucks would not offer a whole lot from there. Vancouver taking lengthy, lengthy sessions in the video room both last night and today. Jeff Patterson reporting from the rink at practice at UBC. Let's try on these lines. For size here, J.D. Leipzig, Horvat, Gagne. Daniel and Henrik Sedin with Jokinen, Archibald, Sutter, Vertanen, Boucher, Dowd, and Mott. Notice we don't hear the name Goldobin in that spiel. He was rotating in and out. We'll get to Goldie in a moment. As far as the head coach is concerned, he's looking for a far better performance. Here's Travis Green reflecting after the game as we go back to the post-Arizona comments that were kicked off when he was asked about what Henrik Sedin, his captain, had to say, his assessment of the hockey game. When he says prepared, I'm, I'm, we were so bad with the puck tonight. We put passes in feet. We put passes behind one another. And when we did get a pass, we didn't do anything with it. If you can't play with the puck, you can't make a play, you're going you're gonna to have games like that. And that's a good team. Believe it or not, like I know people look at the standings and think that they're not, but they're fast. They're, they've got good young players. They've got points in 11 of their last 13 games. They're doing a lot of good things, and we had some players that were not very good tonight. For one end of the ice more than the other that troubled you? I mean, you've given up 75 shots to them in the two games. Uh, they get a lot of shots. You look at the Edmonton game, I think they even strength. They all shot Edmonton the other night, 33 to, to 22. Uh, they put a lot of pucks into the paint. That's just it. I, I say it a lot. When we play bad, our execution's terrible. And tonight it was. What did you see on the, the winner? I haven't watched it yet. They, you know, they in live motion or real time? Yeah. I don't know if it hit a stick or not. When you talked this morning about what this is all about, the last 16 games, you're going to find out a lot about your guys. You're going to find out who wants to win, who's going to be here next fall. And then you get kind of a top to bottom effort like that. Well, it's not, when you say who wants to win, everyone wants to win. But do they play hard enough and play well enough to win? And tonight, we didn't. Lots of guys didn't. Some guys are okay. More guys were, uh, we had a lot of guys that weren't very good tonight. And we're not a very good team, to, uh, a good enough team to, to have. Who made it on the good side? Uh, I'll, I'll keep that to uh, Ourself. Uh, over the course of the season, there have been times when the team has had a win, a meaningful win, and followed it up with a, with a game that was uh, underwhelming. <coughs> that, do you believe that that's been a thing that's no, been not, consistent over the course? Not tonight. Uh, I don't think anyone's jumping through hoops because we won the last game. That's for sure. It wasn't like a a big emotional. It was definitely an emotional letdown tonight. 
we just had some guys that couldn't make a play. Every time the puck hit some guy's sticks, it exploded. Every time we went to pass a puck, like I said, it was our play with the puck was atrocious. Travis Green, after the loss to the Arizona Coyotes, and we bring back the archives for that one, even though it's recent memory, because of some of those comments, and it does apply to where this team is going, and some of them are eerily similar to what Willie Desjardins had to address a year ago, and that's part of where the team is positioned, but I can remember a game last year in the desert that was just as smelly, only it was in the desert, so people weren't paying attention. This one's right in front of our faces, and it's prompted necessary changes from the head coach, but it was brought up to Travis Green in that press conference about guys as an assessment, particularly now that uh, unfortunately Brock Besser's without due to injury. There are more spots available for players to be positioned to get a longer look at them to determine who this team is moving forward with perhaps when it gets into next year, who's getting a contract extension, who's getting a contract when it comes to next year's Team JD. And uh, you can have your voice through our poll question at tsn1040.ca. What player needs to be a lock in the Canucks lineup next year? Examples to choose from are options to choose from are Patterson, Goddett, Goldobin, Archibald. Listen, there's others to go around, but we're having some fun with this. Patterson, Goddett, Goldobin, Archibald. Who needs to be a lock in next year's lineup for the Vancouver Canucks? And you can weigh in throughout the show with you until 9 tonight, one 866 1040 Email live at tsn1040.ca. Text us at 104040. I'm at Hockey Abs, A-B-B-S. He's at J. Dylan Burke with an E on the end if you want to look us up on Twitter as well. And uh, we can, we don't want to pick apart that the entirety of that hockey game, quite frankly, because it would be uh, boring for us to do as well. But the names that jump off the page, one of them would be Nikolai Goldobin. And I couldn't look past his first shift of the hockey game. He skates with the puck up ice, carries the puck into the zone, albeit not many passing options, but it's that's where the smarts have to take over, pulls up into the slot, is surrounded by four Coyotes, tries to force a pass, is picked off, puck goes the other way, and you know what he does? Changes on the back check. And that's just one example, and that's one player, and let me be up front, that was a bad hockey game from tip to tail, and as Travis Green just reiterated for us, There weren't many guys that were standing out in a good light. But here is a player in Goldobin that the door has swung wide open for at this time of the year. And it was blown open ahead of this call-up for him to get up. And now there's no Brock Besser, who plays on the same side of the ice as Goldobin does. This is a huge window of opportunity. Today, he was an alternate at UBC, and it doesn't look like things are pointing in the right direction. Uh, I think Nikolai Goldobin is done with the Canucks. If he's not going to make it now, then when? I mean, think about the people that are playing ahead of him. I mean, Sam Gagne can play on the first line, and Nikolai Goldobin can't get ahead of Nick Dowd. I mean, you know what? You want to call me out on a false equivalency you have out, or I mean, you wouldn't be the first. But I'm looking at that situation, and I'm seeing a coach that has just lost any preconceived notion of even trying to make this work because of plays like the one you just described and that's something that coaches hate they hate when somebody gives up on a play they hate when somebody doesn't back check on their own mistakes everybody's going to lose the puck in transition you see it a lot from some of the best players in the league i'll tell you one thing right now if you go to the nhl's turnover stat it is littered with the best players in the entire league but what you do after the turnover is what matters and i think that's a 
huge chunk of the problem with Goldobin. He's somebody who doesn't make the second effort. If he loses a puck, he's resigned to losing the puck and not getting it back. And that's the difference between him and somebody like a Brendan Leipzig. You know what? He's trying all these inside-out dekes. He's really trying to work his way around the defenseman. And last night, we saw a couple times Brendan Leipzig made it work. On a few occasions, though, the inside-out move, eventually they catch on. It doesn't. But as soon as that puck goes off the defenseman's skate and into the corner, you know who's the first man on it? Leipzig. With Goldobin, it's just it's too much perimeter play, not enough consistency, not enough effort, and the worst part of it all is that he's flashed enough offensive potential, whether it's his vision, whether it's his ability to get a shot off. I mean, we're talking about a player that's deked out Drew Doughty this season, and Drew Doughty was furious about it after the game. I think J-Pat went to talk to him, and, you know, I mean, most people don't want to talk to him after a loss, but especially after you get deked out by Nikolai Goldobin. Well, it kind of led to that, it kind of led to the Doughty winner. That's right. That's right. He was, was saying, yeah, you know, yeah, he was so absolutely. ticked off at himself that he he turned it into being the Canucks in overtime of all things. But uh, yeah, that was, says it all about his his time with the Canucks, though, because you look at last season, he gets the breakaway goal in his first game, and he sits the next thirty minutes of the hockey game. Yeah, I mean, two coaching staffs now that find it hard to give him a regular spot. One shift in the third for Goldobin, bench for the final sixteen fifty four. Three coaches, if you want to include Pete DeBoer three coaches if you want to go all the way back to to San Jose and and here's the thing it's it's one thing if he's not going to contribute in terms of his defensive play and he's not he really isn't. There's nothing I can say positively about the way he's playing without the puck. 47.95% of the shots on the ice are going the Canucks way with him on the ice. That means his team doesn't have the puck a lot, and that's what Travis Green was alluding to in his press conference last week. Goldobin does his best work with the puck, and that's why his points per 60 is actually relatively high. And what that says to me is that he's a player who is taking advantage of the sparse opportunities granted him. It's just that it's not consistent enough, and he's still not even in the top six of Canucks players in terms of how many points he's getting per hour at 5-on-5. I want to see this guy succeed. I mean, Nikolai Goldobin, this is a team that could really use his personality. Well, and his goal scoring ability. His goal scoring, of course, I know, but it's really bleak. It goes back to the Ben Hutton thing, right? So you could really use a good story like a Goldobin, like a Ben Hutton. That's what I'm trying to get at. I mean, there's just so many gray clouds hanging over this team, and you'd like to see something like that go well. And I think we're at the end of the line with Goldobin. I think when you're getting passed up for pending UFA Nick Dowd, it's done. So before we get to some of the guys that were going, and you mentioned one of them in Leipzig already, if this... And Goldobin doesn't need a contract next year, but you're at that point where you need to make a decision on him. Does he still get the benefit of the doubt a year later? I mean, this is a a lineup that right now, if nothing changes, spots are not... there There are very few spots open. I mean, spots will be on the team next season if nothing changes. They will be hard to come by. And look at who's coming up. I mean, Elias Pettersson, we're going to talk about him later today, is just absolutely tearing up the SHL. And, and you think he's looking to carve out a name for himself and an opportunity. So what is the best step forward, in your opinion, J.D., with Goldoman? Are you trying to max him out in the offseason Part of an asset you acquired for Yannick Hansen, and that was a great trade. That was a great trade. Yannick Hansen has not been able to have the type of success he had with the Vancouver Canucks with the San Jose Sharks, but Vancouver recognized the direction that they were moving in. Where do you think you get to 
with Nikolai Goldova now? What's your course of action at, I, as we speak? I think he goes to the reserve list after signing a, a contract to go overseas because there's no room for him. Like you said, before the Canucks signed the Sedins, they've got all but one roster spot accounted for next season. And he's got to clear waivers. I just don't see any way he fits. But you know what? We're going to have to talk about this and more on the other side of the break here. Uh, we're going to be talking about life after Brock Besser, a little bit more about Brendan Leipzig. And we want to get your thoughts. So reach out at 604-280-1040, toll-free, 844-876-1040. You're listening to Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club, on your voice for Vancouver Sports. Came out of the last segment, J.D., talking with Nikolai Goldobin, his future with the Vancouver Canucks and his place even on the current roster. Canucks at UBC today had him as an alternate. That's right. He was swapping in and out on line rushes. Jeff Patterson reporting Leipzig, Horvat, and Gagne become a line. Archibald Sutter, Vertanen, a trio. Some of the big line jostling. It looks like Nick Dowd will be in when the Canucks take on the Minnesota Wild tomorrow night. Who... Are you going to see at this point? There's no Brock Besser. If you're a fan, what's bringing you to the arena to see the Vancouver Canucks? I'm intrigued by Brendan Leipzig. I've really enjoyed the way he's played, set up a nice goal for for Jokinen last evening. and In fact, it tried that play in the early goings of the first period, and it set up another good chance for Jokinen. I like the look of Leipzig, Horvat, and Vertanen. It's a shame we don't get to see that now. We might later on. So it's too bad that Vertanen's been moved around as well. But if it's not Leipzig and Vertanen or Horvat, I guess, who is it? Do you see this affecting the crowd moving well, down the ranks here? I was going to say, I appreciate your gusto and your optimism, but I don't know if there is anything drawing fans to the rink at Rogers Arena. I mean, did you look at that stadium last night? There, there must have been generously about 9,000 people there. I mean, you talk about dark days. I think that was the lowest attended hockey game in Vancouver since a November loss to the Winnipeg Jets, which was also the lowest attended hockey game. And I think about, what, 15 years, something crazy like that. It's, I think this is what life after Brock Besser is like. And I think to an even larger extent, this shows the volatility of the Canucks rebuild in the sense that they've lost one of their two young pillars. And we're talking about Leipzig. I mean, that's... And, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of that trade. I really like that move. They're, they're selling high on somebody. At least he's bringing something. He's bringing something. And he's something. pulling the best out of Jake Vertanen. And, well, you know what? He's a perfect fit for Jake Vertanen because he's going to dig out the pucks. He's going to find Vertanen. He's been such a good distributor of the puck. I don't know if you looked at any of Daryl Keeping's work on Canucks Army. He did an article where he looked at the Canucks after the trade deadline using some of the proprietary data that he has tracked. Things like shot assists, primary shot assists, things like that to see who is setting up who. And interestingly enough, it's Brandon Leipzig who's leading the charge. And he's setting up all these prime op opportunities for his line mates. And I think that's reflected in a lot of his primary assist data. So that is a good storyline and, and perhaps a, a little sunshine through the clouds. But you know what? We're going to have to circle back on that here because we're coming up against it. In the second hour, we're going to be talking to Cam Davey in segment five. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the Canucks prospects and what the Canucks are going to do with Besser this summer following a report that they're looking at a contract extension as early as this summer when they can start negotiating one. You're listening to Nation Network Radio, powered by Shark Club with J.D. Burke, John Abbott on TSN 1040, your voice for Vancouver sports.
Hey, it's Blake Price here, and if you're looking for a new vehicle, I encourage you to drop in and see the team, my team at Berard Acura. The entire staff is professional, so easy to deal with, and of course, the lot full of outstanding new Acuras and pre-owned vehicles as well. I drive an MDX from Berard Acura, and it is the perfect vehicle for getting my family around on winter road conditions. You can test drive an MDX or any of the great Acura vehicles today at Berard Acura, 730 Terminal Avenue, built to serve you better. Part of Delari Group of Companies, Canada's largest